Blog Talk Radio. And welcome to Golf Talk Live. I'm your host, Ted Odorico. And as always, uh, we've got a great show for you tonight. We're going to be starting off uh, here in just a moment uh, with another great round of on the Coach's Corner panel. And then a little bit later on, I'm going to be joined once again this month uh, by my very special guest, uh, Mitchell Crum. He's the director and founder uh, of the Elite Golf Group. And he's here uh, back this show to talk about something very special near and dear to his heart. So we're going to talk to him uh, a little bit later on in the broadcast. Uh, and we're going to be joined by, uh, hopefully, fingers crossed, uh, a very special guest uh, that's going to be joining him a little bit later on as well. Of course, I'm talking about PGA Tour Pro, uh, Bo Van Pelt is going to be joining us as well a little bit later on in the broadcast. So I'm very excited, uh, and hopefully, as I said, uh, fingers crossed, everything will work out right. But anyways, thanks for tuning in, everybody. And uh, as always, the uh, best way to find us is go to blogtalkradio.com and type in Golf Talk Live up in the search key. We're live every Thursday evening from 6 to 8 p.m. Central, unless otherwise stated. And, of course, last week we didn't have a show uh, uh, as we observed, of course, the Thanksgiving holiday. So uh, a belated happy Thanksgiving to everybody out there listening to the broadcast. I hope you all had a safe and and happy holiday, and I'm very excited to be back on. Uh, Some other great ways to tune into the show as well. If you go to iTunes.com, Stitcher.com, TuneIn.com, and now TalkStreamLive, Dot com And again, just type in Golf Talk Live uh, in the search key and that will take you to those respective uh, social media platforms. Um, and for those of you that can't tune in live, not to worry, just visit any of the social media platforms I've just mentioned uh, at any time uh, throughout the day. And you can scroll down to the on-demand section and you can listen to the shows as they are, of course, auto-recorded. So uh, tune in whenever it's convenient for you. If you want to call in and speak to the guests at any time, uh, during our live broadcast Thursday nights from 6 to 8 p.m. Central, you can do so by calling area code 646-716-4667, uh, or you can reach out to me personally at ted.golftalklive at gmail.com. And just a quick note, I was actually just mentioning something off air before we went live, but we ran out of time. Um, I sent out uh, just at the very beginning, actually, of the Thanksgiving holiday uh, week, if you will, uh, the 2019 uh, Coaches Corner panel schedule. So for those of you that uh, didn't get it, let me know, and I will make sure I'll email it back out to you. Uh, but check your dates for the next year's season. And those of you that want to come back on the panel, uh, by all means, let me know the dates that you want to be uh, considered for, and we'll plug you right in. They are starting to go pretty quick, so uh, you want to make sure you get back to me uh, fairly soon, and it won't take long to, to fill up for next season. Uh, and for those of you that may be tuning into the broadcast, if you're in the golf industry, a golf uh, teach professional or coach, Uh, and you've never been on the panel and you want to join in next season's uh, Coach's Corner panel, uh, just, again, shoot me an email at ted.golftalklive at gmail.com, and I'll be happy to send you out a copy of the schedule as well, and you can let me know uh, all the particulars of what dates uh, you'd be able to to jump in and join in the panel. Also, for any of you out there that have been on the panel uh, that would also be willing to be a substitute in the event that one of the 
uh, booked coaches can't make it, sort of a last minute, if you will, please let me know in the email that you return back, and I'll make sure that I've got uh, you in the list of preferred uh, panelists, if you will, for a callback or a call in if we can on, on short notice like that. So I appreciate any of those that have offered and volunteered so far. Uh, some other great ways, again, is to follow on Facebook.com. Uh, go to Golf Talk Live uh, blog is the page there. You can also follow me on Twitter at Ted and Buck CEO. I'm going to introduce the panel here in the Coach's Corner, but let me just remind everybody, as I have mentioned the last several weeks on the show, uh, we've got a great sponsor of the Coach's Corner panel. Of course, I'm talking about Golf Swing. Uh, .com. They're going to be sponsoring the Coach's Corner panel segment here uh, for the next little while. And uh, let me tell you a little bit about them, and then I'll introduce the panel, and we'll get into tonight's discussion. Uh, Golfswing.com, with its cutting-edge technology, have teamed up alongside some of the best golf instructors, uh, coaches, and swing gurus, if you will, in the business. Uh, together, they have created one of the best video uh, teaching and training online platforms in golf. So if you're ready to break 100, 90, 80, or even 70, then you want to join their online video academy and learn from some of the best in the business. In addition to, uh, excuse me, in addition to sponsoring the Coach's Corner segment each week, as I have been doing the last several weeks, I will post a different golf instructional video tip featuring one of the top instructors, uh, again, featured on GolfSwing.com uh, after the broadcast tonight. Uh, and this week I'll be featuring, again, a great video tip from Jeff Mitchell, PJ uh, professional Jeff Mitchell. Uh, he's been on the last couple of weeks, so uh, you want to keep up. This will be his last video I'll be posting on tonight. So make sure you check that on my social media platforms, uh, everything from LinkedIn to Twitter and, of course, uh, Facebook, all of the platforms there uh, I will be featuring. All right, as I mentioned, i got uh, two great professionals joining me tonight. Uh, they've uh, been pretty regular throughout the season on the Coach's Corner panel. Uh, let me just introduce them, and I'll bring them on the show, and we'll get into tonight's discussion. Uh, first up, of course, is Alicia Larson. She's a Class A LBJ Teach Professional and the founder and president of Gratitude Golf, LLC. She's also a great author of The Missing Link, The Powerful Role of Self-Talk in the Mind Game uh, of Golf. Uh, coaches every golfer from the beginner, intermediate, and even up to the advanced players. Of course, uh, rounding out the panel is my good buddy, Clint Wright. He's a 30-year member of the PGA partner at TGM Golf and a big proponent of the R3 approach and one of uh, the best in my business or best in my opinions covering the short game today and he's become one of my favorite guests and panelists here on the Coach's Corner. Uh, guys, uh, welcome to uh, Golf Talk Live's Coach's Corner. Glad thank to be you here. so much. Well, I appreciate it. As always, thank you for giving your time and, and that's what I was um, just to backpedal a little bit, Alicia, that was what I was talking about. I sent out the schedule to everybody, so I'm not sure if you got one or not, but let me know as soon as you can if you want to mm -hmm. jump in on next season and uh, check your dates and, and get back to me uh, when you can. All right, guys, we're going to start things off. Uh, we're going to – sorry. Uh, sorry, go ahead, Clint. Not me. You were... Oh, okay. I'm sorry. I just heard a, a voice. Um, yeah. But uh, we're, we're getting close to the end of the season. Uh, I've only got a few more shows. Uh, we're going to be – uh, doing the final show for Golf Talk Live uh, on the 20th of December, and then we're taking a, a bit of a break until the new season. I will announce at that time uh, the return date for next year. Uh, of course, the uh, Coach's Corner segment will be coming back on March. I believe 7th is the first uh, date for the Coach's Corner, and I'll be starting, I think, sometime in February for the regular broadcast. But um, So getting that it's the end of the season, we're kind of wrapping things up. Uh, Alicia, I'm going to start with you on this question, if you will. Um, you know, there's that old saying out there, teach, you know, can you teach a, an old dog new tricks? And what I want to ask you is this. 
we've got obviously a lot of mature golfers out there. Um, probably the, the biggest uh, medium of, of golfers out there is, is our baby boomers now coming in and our senior golfers that are out there. And a lot of them are pretty set in their ways. Is it still possible, do you think, uh, when you're working with some of uh, the students in that category, is it still possible to teach them some new things, or are they pretty much ingrained in what they've been doing for the last, say, 10, 20, or 30 years, and it's just sort of let's hold everything steady uh, the way it is? What are your thoughts there, and is it too late for some of these people to start to learn some new things that may help their game in the long run? Well, I, I firmly believe it's never too late. So that's like, I'll start there that I think that people, um, if they, if they come to you, if they come to any golf professional and they're paying you, they are, they are implicitly telling us that they want to get better or they want change. And so you, like, I, I talk about that a lot with, with, you know, the age of groups that you're talking about, just saying, sure. you know, here's what's going to happen. You know, I'm, I'm going to change something and it's not, it's not going to be what you're used to. But uh, um, are you are you willing to do that? And then are you willing to work at it to try to make that the new habit? Um, you know, uh, then it just shifts into, in my opinion, it shifts into a mindset if they're if they're willing to. Sometimes they say they're willing to, but you know, they, they if they don't practice anything in between each lesson, then that tells me they're not willing. And then at that point in time, then you'll you know, depending on you know, that could be a cycle. But depending on if they would never, if they decided they're never going to change or they don't they don't want to change, then, then you just say they can't change. But I, I believe they can. Uh, and I think it's a mindset. So it's one of those things where, you know, how much effort are they going to put forth? And, and, and sometimes they'll even say, gosh, I took a lesson and, and I got, you know, way worse. And, you know, you can get a golfer who has got a lot of things, uh, you know, like, for instance, uh, I hit the ball to the right a lot, and then you'll say I'll close the club face a little bit and they'll hit it straight. And they're willing to play golf the rest of their life that way. And it's, you know, for that, and, and I'm okay with that, you know, but if they come to you as an right. instructor and say, I want to change, then it's kind of different. You know what I mean? They're, they're like saying to me, change, help me get better. But then if they don't want to work, then that's really nothing that we can do about that. But I, I do firmly believe that, that any mind, any mindset coming in, they can change and any age can change and get better. Uh, so yeah, that's just my thoughts on that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree with that. And well said, Alicia, um, you know, Clint, some of us old guys out there, you know, we kind of get set in our ways and, and, uh, you know, we've been kind of doing, repeating the same, you know, pattern, if you will, for, for a long, long time. And we're pretty resistant sometimes to change. And I, I agree with what Alicia said. I think they have to come in with the right mindset. Um, and I think one of the things that we have to guard against is, you know, coming up with sort of a Band-Aid solution. Uh, you know, at least you pointed out a great one. You know, they're hitting the ball to the right. Well, let's just close the club face, and they hit a little straight, and they play like that. And that might be fine, you know, for that particular day, but it's not really getting to the root problem. What are your thoughts when, when dealing with some of the, uh, you know, uh, students and players out there that are a little bit more mature um, and are set in their ways? How do you handle that and, and, and maybe even encourage them to want to change? Well, first of all, Ted, I appreciate you asking this question about me. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I know how to deal with this. Um, the first thing I get them to do is to define getting better. I, I want to know what they think that means. 
sometimes getting better is just learning how to use what you do better. Sometimes getting better means maybe, you know, making a better swing, making better contact. So my first approach to these guys and ladies both is to tell me what you mean by help you get better. And most of the time, particularly when people have played golf for any length of time, they they really just want to maybe cut one or two shots around out. So at that point, if they tell me, well, I just want to get a little bit lower score or, or whatever, then we begin to analyze why they're not doing it now. Is that they're not hitting it far enough? Maybe they're, they're never going to hit it far enough. They always want to hit it a little further. Um, are we just not utilizing our short game the best we can? You know, um, I deal with a lot of guys that, the you know, their, their, their touch and feel is maybe not as good as it used to be. And with the conditions of the golf courses that we play today where we like kind of firm and fast greens, uh, they have to relearn how to manage that touch and feel. So a lot of times getting better means taking them to the, the putting green and try to help them understand, you know, how hard you have to hit it for certain distances. We've talked about this a few months ago uh, about yeah. helping a person improve their lag putting. And so yep. my, my first step is to ask them and to tell, define to me what you think is getting better. And to Alicia's point, if I can get them to define that, then i got a better chance of getting them to buy in mentally and for doing something about it in between than if we just go, you know, well, getting better, we're just going to get better. They're not going to buy into that. But once you make that player define it for themselves, you stand a much better chance of them buying in to really do something that matches up with their idea of getting better. Yeah, well said. Um, and I think a lot of it goes really hand-in-hand hand with the initial assessment, especially when you're working with a new student that you've never worked with before. I think sure. asking those questions up front during sort of the assessment process, you know, everybody takes them on, well, let's you know, see you hit a few shots, and that's great. But I think having that discussion with them is important as well because, as, again, going to Alicia's point, if they haven't really developed that mindset to say, you know, I, I really do want to commit to these, you know, whatever changes may come my way, if they're not prepared to do that, then really it, it's all for naught. You know, you're going to spend an hour or a couple of hours over maybe several lessons teaching them, you know, here and there only to find out that they're really not putting the effort that they need to put in in order to hone those new skills uh, and, and make them part of a uh, repetitive pattern. And yeah, but I, I'll tell see. you, Ted, is the thing that I, I'm adamant about is that me as an instructor, I don't define what getting better means. Right. I let my students define it. And once they define it for themselves, the chance of them having that commitment is far greater Yes. Okay. Uh, then what it would be if I, the instructor, was defining what getting better meant. And once they do that, yeah. it's amazing. I mean, once they've bought in, and it's their idea of what getting better means. So that my job as an instructor is to help them do that, not to define what it means. Right. You're exactly right. And and this has I think been a problem for a long time. Is you know, too often as instructors, you know, we fall into that trap, okay, well, here's what I think you need to do. And a lot right. of times that may not necessarily be what they want. 
uh, and and it only you know exacerbates the frustration on their part. That's a great point, uh, you know, Clint, that you bring up. Um, all right, well, Clint, take a deep breath because I'm coming back to you. I always like to, to flip the reverse of of uh, the questions. Um, so we're going to come to you and then uh, Alicia. Um, one of the things that people do have, and I know you're going to one of the things you're going to say, Clint, is that well, you know, we want to define that. Everybody has a difficult shot or or even a club in their bag uh, that they really struggle with. Some, obviously, more often than not, it might be the driver. And I understand during a specific round, if they're if they're playing in an important event like a corporate event or something, they don't want to, you know, be you know feeling uncomfortable with that particular club or that uh, when that shot comes up. But what do you suggest when you have a player uh, or student that comes to you and has let's say, we'll just use the driver as an example, it really struggles with their driver. They want to get better, but they just don't seem to get it. And as a result, they're kind of leaving that club out of the bag. Um, how do we help them master it a little bit more and feel more comfortable um, putting that club back in the bag? Or should Well, we? that's a good question. Um, generally, if I get a person that comes and says, look, I just want you to help me hit my driver better, okay, I said, okay, well, let's go out and, and figure a few things out to start with. I said, I want you to take your most favorite club in the bag and let's watch you and get that swing on video. Okay? I want you to come out. I want to see your best swing with your favorite club. Then we go to the driver and we begin to start trying to pinpoint, well, what are you doing different with the driver than what you are with your favorite club? What's causing the problem? But I want to see their best swing because that's the one we want to start to try to mimic with the club they're having a hard time with. And once right. we can determine that and get it on video and they can see it and you compare it, it gives them a clear understanding of what they're trying to achieve with their difficult club. Because, you know, you, you get nervous with the with the, the club you're not hitting well and, and you're really not right. sure what's causing it. Um, it's just going to get worse. So. What I try to do is put their best swing on video. Let's see your worst swing with the club that you don't like. Let's start comparing. Let's figure out what you need to fix, and then stay focused on that fix only. All right, that's what yeah, we're focused on. Just start bringing this thing back a little closer to your favorite club swing. Yeah, you know, and that, that raised an interesting point. Uh, you know, I, I mentioned this on the last show, I believe, um, on the panel. We talked about a little bit about uh, Jack Nicholas in his uh, video that he did, Golf My Way. And, you know, he talked about how he had one swing and used it with every club in the bag. And I think one of the mistakes that a lot of golfers get is they try to swing differently with each club. And I think you'd really just prove the point that you want to see an example of their best swing and then figure out what they're doing differently with the club that's giving the most difficulty. And, you know, when you look at the video, if you go back to the video that Jack did um, and they showed, you know, images of him swinging, you know, he had, I think, four, I think he used four different clubs, if I'm not mistaken, in, in the example that he gave. And right. unless you knew what to look for, it was hard to tell which club he was hitting because every swing was exactly the same. The only difference right. was the clubs got a little bit longer. Um, and, you know, that's, I think, an important thing to, to understand as well. Uh, Alicia, I want to take this just a little bit different twist with you. Um, maybe not so much the club, but, uh, you know, maybe somebody's uh, having difficulty 
in a situation, let's say, when playing in the wind or out of the bunker. So it's not so much necessarily a club uh, per se. It may be a particular shot that they're very uh, guarded against, they're not comfortable with. What do we do to, to get them more comfortable so they're not thinking, well, you know, I'm just going to leave that in the bag and, or I'm not going to even attempt that shot. I just don't have confidence in it. How do we help them gain confidence? Uh, one of the biggest things that I do is I, you know, I tell them, because there are clubs that, surprisingly enough to me, like when you think about the driver is, you know, because it is the least loft, it's the least forgiving and so, but people grab that, like when they get to the driving range, that's the first club they take out and they don't, they don't, they don't warm up. They just grab, they grab a driver and, and they'll tell me like, I don't like my seven wood. And well, particularly in this situation, there's a woman that I'm thinking about, one of my students and I'm like, well, you know, a seven wood in theory, you know, it's, it's more loft. It should be a little bit more forgiving. And so when you think about that concept, and they tell me that they don't like a, a high lofted club. I don't use my eight iron. I'm like, there, there's like an eight iron is a great club for women to be hitting, you know, just like on par threes and uh, it's got en- enough loft. It's, you know, it's not going to go straight up in the air, but it's, it should give them some pretty good end results. And, and if they don't bring them out of their golf bag, they're, they're just going to have a mindset that they don't like that golf club. If they hit it a couple bad times and then they say, I just don't, I, I, and then they might get to, I tried to hit my eight iron over the water and I did it, you know, it just kind of, if it keeps going, then they believe they can't hit their eight iron and they just leave it in the bag. And I tell my students, look, this, if, you know, how many of you don't like uh, the bunker shot and they'll, and, and, you know, three or four people raise their hand. I'm like, okay, great. Get your sandwiches and go in the bunker. Because if you don't like a club or you don't like a shot, that's what you need to, you need to spend time with it. Like, developing a new friend i said you literally have to if you meet somebody for the first time and you you think you might like them a little bit and you got to go and call them up and ask them to go out for dinner or go to a movie together or hang out together or whatever you got to spend some time with that golf club so you have to become friends with it again so it changes your mindset because i know a higher lofted club is going to help them and but yet they have it leaving it in their bag because they think they can't hit it so it really to me is they've maybe executed enough shots in their mind that they think that it's something that should just stay in the bag. And I'll, I'll pull the bag out. I'll pull the club out of the bag and say, okay, here's what we're working on today. We're going to, we're going to use this club and, and prove to them that they can hit it because they change their swing. If I, if I change, you know, they, they, Oh, I love my seven iron. I can't stand my eight iron. Well, that makes no sense to a golf instructor relative to they're so close (laughs) together. That it's like, come on, they're 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 so close. It's not like I hate my driver and I love my you know wedge. <laughs> so I, when I did golf digest schools, literally I would videotape these people, and I'd have them do a wedge and a six iron and a driver. And you know, Mr. Smith would invariably say, you know, I hit my wedges and my short iron way better. And when I start getting in that six iron, there's just something's going on with that one. And my driver, it's really bad. And I look at the videos, and we show them in the videos that their mechanical mistakes are exactly the same. You just get away with it with a higher lofted club. So it's a matter of, to me, I have changed more mindset sets with people, you know, approaching a golf club than I did mechanics because they'll swing differently when they have a club in their hand that they don't like and then they'll turn to me and go, see, I told you, Alicia, I can't hit this club. That's just mindset right? because they swing differently. They might swing it faster that takes their sequence out of whack, and then they miss. They don't get centeredness of contact, and 
So to me, it's, you know, there's a lot of that. Uh, I believe there's a lot of that playing in, in, in having a play into this. Um, so I just yeah, make them hit, I, hit their club they don't like. <laughs> yeah, I think, and I think it's important. I think sometimes you have to be, um, I think that's something that you have to be, you know, willing to do as an instructor as well. I mean, obviously we're not trying to, you know, uh, and, and this is going to fall into my next question. We really don't want to create an overwhelming anxiety for, for our students, but at the same time, you know, the only way sometimes to get over those initial fears is to sort of jump in with both feet. And I think that's a great way to, that you put it was to get them comfortable using a club because if they can hit a club, even if it's not perfect, if they can hit a club and become comfortable with one that they've for some time not been comfortable then the others will fall in much easier into suit, I believe, anyways. Um, and, and this yeah. lead, leads into my next, my next question. And, uh, Alicia, you're going to take a deep breath now because I'm coming back to you on this one. And that is really overcoming okay. anxieties on the, uh, on the golf course. Um, we get a lot of folks, and we've heard this many, many times uh, as instructors, and we've even talked about it numerous times <coughs> Excuse me, here on the Coach's Corner panel. Um, you know, we get our students out at the range, and they're hitting things great. They're feeling, you know, like they're in groove. And then all of a sudden we take them out for a playing lesson. And it's like, well, what happened to Bob? I mean, you know, you were doing real well in the range or what's happening. And suddenly that anxiety uh, kicks in. So mm-hmm. what are some things that, that you try to work through your students to help them be able to transition from their practice uh, routine, if you will, out on the golf course, take that confidence with them. What do you do to uh, help your students out? Well, I, I try to, first of all, there's a couple things, but the first thing that I'm thinking is I try to get them to practice with pressure so that they're not, you know, there's no, there's no really consequences if you're on the driving range or you're in a simulator, or, you know, you're in a hitting bay and, and there's nothing really, there's, you know, in simulator, obviously, there's a lot of better feedback. And then, obviously, when you're in a driving range. But, you know, they don't they don't have, like, when you're on a driving range and they say, I say, what's your target? And they're, like, just out there, straight out there, you know. So the, they their mindset isn't the same. So I try to get them to practice with some pressure. And then I try to get them to maybe practice, like, holes. Like, okay, take your driver out and then hit it and, and then say that went X, you know, far. And now you have, like, play a course that you play you know, frequently, uh, you know, mm-hmm. so I do that where they'll, they'll play like the course at their home course and maybe play nine holes. And so they'll take, put their driver back and take a seven iron out and, you know, go through their routine and things like that. Um, you know, and then, and then the other thing is I, I've started something in my Academy and I, I, uh, have all of my kids, um, have an adversity statement. So we know they're going to face adversity on the golf course. So, I talked through this and it takes about an hour to come up with a refined sentence because it has to be very, you know, as a self-talk trainer and speaker, I, I, it has to be short and it has to be, you know, repetitive and something they can remember. It can't be this long sentence that they're going to get confused with. But uh, I have them take that. I listen to their conversation about what they're, you know, feeling and experiencing out there. And we come up with a statement that's like a shield for them. To, you know, to to help them believe that they can hit this shot, or they're you know they're they're relaxed, or whatever it is. So when they feel adversity, they just repeat it in their head. And so uh, that's 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 helped, and I put it on their file, and so they see it all the time. And it's you know when I when I got certified as a tra- self talk trainer and speaker, it's like it's about repetition. It's just like 
you want to, you know, you want to hit balls properly. Repetition can be, you know, in golf practice, it could be good or bad. You can, it's permanent. <laughs> so you can practice improperly right. and something incorrectly, <laughs> you know, and so it's like same with self-talk. You can, you know, that's why I, that's why the book that I wrote is really, it didn't say the power of positive self-talk. It said the power of self-talk because it can go either way. And uh, you can yeah. get yourself to a pulp on the golf course and then, or you can, you know, be a champion and be your own cheerleader. And, and, you know, so that's the positive and the negative side of it. So, um, yeah. yeah. And, that, so and that's I, a great, yeah, that's a great, that. yeah, that's a great point, Alicia, you, that you bring up because I mean, we can, we can say whatever we want to ourselves, but if it's, if it's not the right thing uh, or it's not going to mm-hmm. help in the, the situation that we're going to have, you can say it a thousand times and all you're doing is ingraining uh, something that's that's going to be counterproductive uh, for you. Um, you know, Clint, yeah. uh, just expanding on this question a little bit, you know, something that I think happens to a lot of players, uh, you know, out in the practice tee or, or in the practice facility is they, they develop tunnel vision. You know, when they're, when they're on the driving range, they see that flag out there and, you know, they, okay, well, I'm going for this pin over here or I'm going for that uh, pin over there. And they develop that tunnel vision. They get everything lined up and the way they go. But for some reason, when they get over to the golf course, uh, it's like they don't know what to do. Suddenly that tunnel vision sort of slips away. They don't have a defined target. And that, I think, is partially what creates a lot of anxiety. So what do you say to your students when you see them doing well on the range and they get out there and it's very evident that they're, they've lost that sort of tunnel vision, if you will, and sure. they don't have a target or they're not really um, it's almost like they don't know what to do anymore. What, what do you say to them, and what's the conversation that you have with them when they get on that first tee? Well, first of all, you know, I, I don't want to be argumentative, but I've never figured out how you can be competitive on the range. Um, the, the practice facility is to work on the physical move and, and a routine and things, and because a good shot on the driving range, the ball is in the air and goes straight. Yep. Nobody ever pays attention to where it stops. So, a successful shot on the driving range has a totally different thing than a successful shot on the golf course because the golf course is where the ball stops, not how it flies. Okay. So unless you're going to clear the range and watch every ball stop and go out and figure out how far it is, it's almost impossible to train that on on the, on the, uh, on the practice area. So, you know, that's where the, the playing lessons become extremely important to understand, okay, mm-hmm. we've worked on the physical move now. Let's go out and see if we can't put it on that physical move on the golf course. Because, you see, one of the things that I talk to players about is I said, do you know that we play a game to the smallest target on the largest playing field of any game ever played? Mm-hmm. Period. Okay? Yeah. Now, so what we have to determine is where do we play the game? You know, a golf course that we may have talked about this years ago, a golf course is no different than a football field or a baseball diamond. It's the playing field. It's all it is. Yep. If we don't hit the ball, the game doesn't exist. So what I try to do is get people on the playing field. If I, if they're going to get comfortable playing, they got to be on the playing field, not out on the practice range. Right. You know, or hitting balls at a, or hitting balls into a net or baseballs or whatever. Get them on the playing field. That's where they learn how to play, not how to hit, mm-hmm. okay? And so I try to, you know, get them to buy and say, okay, we're going to learn how to play this game or you just want to learn how to hit a golf ball. It's up to you. 
if you just want to hit a golf ball, we can do this on the range, and we can do it on the playing field, but we just don't need a scorecard. Right. Uh, if you want to learn how to play golf, then we need a scorecard, and we need to be on the playing field. Now, there's obviously times and places for both of those because we don't want them just rolling it on the ground all day. you, you got to be proficient at getting the ball in the air, moving it downrange, and learn how to play the game. That's why, you know, I'm dealing with some people that might have some anxiety. And so what I try to do is get them to evaluate their equipment. Okay? What's your favorite mm-hmm. club? You know, what, what clubs don't you like to hit? Well, we're going to try to get, you know, to hit all of them well if we can, but who says you got to play all of them? I mean, we got we got 14 clubs in the bag because the rule says we can have them in the, in the golf industry wants to sell us 14 clubs. But I'll bet you the two of y'all and myself, being honest, we probably use about six of them. Yeah. So the golf course I play on, I want to make sure that I'm proficient at those clubs. I want my equipment and how I use it to match up with the course I'm playing. That's why you see a lot of top-end players, they may change their fairway woods or hybrids or long irons depending on the course they're playing. Right. But exactly. we go out with 14 clubs, play the same golf course all the time, use about four or five clubs, and, and uh, we then try to hit something we don't normally hit, and the anxiety level goes up. So I try to get people to understand is that we're going to learn how to hit it over here, but we're going to learn how to play on the golf course. You know, and I know I'm probably get a lot of argument, but it's hard to learn how to play on the driving. <laughs> okay? You just can't learn to play over there. Now, you can learn how to hit it. Yes. You can learn how to hit that ball down range, but you can't learn how to play on the driving range. It's impossible because that's not where the game's played. And yep. so I try my best to get them on the – out on the playing field as much as we can. And uh, that's where they're going to have the most fun. They'll learn how to play versus learn how to hit. So, and the point I was making about the evaluation of the equipment is when they do, let's say that they've got a choice to make here, either hit a hard eight iron or an easy seven. Well, they don't like their eight iron, like Lisa said. They can't hit an eight iron. Well, then that gives me, I'm going to take my seven iron and hit an easy seven because i got more confidence in that club. You know, I, I find it to be foolish to think, well, I'm, I don't like this club, so I'm just going to try to hit it anyway because I got it in the bag. I might as well hit it. That doesn't make sense to me. Uh, you want to evaluate right. your equipment, get on the playing field as much as possible. That's the only way that you're going to eliminate this anxiety uh, on the golf course and playing. And if you're a competitive player, the only way you're going to do it is to be on the playing field in competition. It's the only place to learn it. Very difficult to simulate. Yeah, you raised some very interesting points uh, there, Clint, and, and let me just touch on a couple of them. You're, you're exactly right. I mean, obviously, the, the practice facility, the, the, the practice tee, if you will, it, it has a specific purpose, and that's to learn how to hit the, the golf ball. It's not there to learn how to play the game. It's there to learn how to develop certain skills that will help you out on the golf course. Uh, but to learn how to put that all together – the only place to do that is on the golf course. And you're exactly right. You know, if you're somebody that plays the same course all the time, more than likely you're going to play the same, you know, a uh, few clubs in your, in your, uh, your golf bag. But if you're somebody that plays a lot of different courses, then you right. might need to make some changes because you are going to use, uh, you know, some cl- courses, if they're a little bit longer, 
you might need some longer clubs in the bag. If they're, you know, uh, more bunkers or whatever, uh, or more difficult lies that you might need uh, maybe an extra wedge, uh, you know, in your bag or something along that lines. That, you know, so you yes. need to be flexible. And, and you're exactly right. I think what you do need to do is you need to be as proficient as possible with all of your clubs so that when you do make those changes, you're comfortable and confident with every club in your bag as best as you can. And there are going to be some favorites. I mean, seven iron is, is my favorite. I like my wedges too, but um, you know, obviously there are certain clubs in the bag. I think everybody has a personal favorite, but you need to be comfortable with all of your clubs because you never know when you're going to need them uh, depending on where you're playing. So it's a very interesting point. Um, Clint, uh, I'm going to, I think I was going to come back to you, but I think you uh, probably need a, a rest here, so I'm going to go to hey, Alicia. Uh, whatever makes you happy, Ted. <laughs> I'm going to go to Alicia with this one here, uh, even though I know this. Actually, you know what? I'm going to change this a little bit. Um, you know, Alicia, on, on this question that I have for you, you know, we get a lot of, you know, when we're on the practice tee, for the most part, you know, we we've got, pretty good lies all the time when we're hitting uh, out into the range. We might hit to uh, parts of the range that have different lies and different results are going to happen, but we're obviously hitting off a, a perfectly flat lie. But when we get out in the golf course, as Clint pointed out, the circumstances change. Now suddenly we have undulation out in the fairways. We've got undulation in the greens, uh, you know, hills and valleys and dips and curves and all kinds of things and elevation changes. So now suddenly that nice, comfortable, flat lie that we once had on the practice tee isn't going to apply very often out in the golf course. Is there some things that you like to do with your students when you're helping them practice to get ready to play uh, or when they take them out for a playing lesson that helps them prepare for that element that they're going to be faced with? Well, that goes back to what Clint was just saying about, you know, the baseball field or the, the, the golf course is the playing field. And there's really no substitute for, uh, like for instance, you know, reading greens, you, you mm-hmm. can, you can go and, you know, I've, I'm, I, I worked with Dave Pels quite a bit in, in my amateur days and having him as a coach and saying, you're always going to put on a straight line. You just try to read, you know, you got to read the break and everybody's guessing uh, guys and gals on TV are guessing. And so are we, uh, they're just better guessers than we are, but you can't, you, you can refine your guessing skills, if you will. <laughs> and you're, you're, you know, how you're, saying I'm going to read it and it's going to break this much. But I think, the, the, you know, the, the, the uh, side deal and downhill and uphill and all those lies and stuff, you really, when you go play and you're on that playing field, that's when you're going to learn them the most. Now, yeah, like you said, there's technique with those, but how you do it and then, you know, remembering and the repetition behind it. Okay, if my ball is below my feet, I do this. If it's above my feet, I do this. Um, so, you, you, you know, but playing is the best way to learn how to do that. You, it's just like almost like you teach yourself, you know, how to figure out how to do that once you've been taught the basics and the kind of, the, of, the, of that particular shot. But uh, I don't think there's any substitute for playing. And you can, like I you can do, you know, here's, like I said, the, the ball below your feet, do these things and, and give them the kind of the basics. But uh, get them out there and playing is, is – and then during the playing lesson you can – coach them too so that's the best way as clint mentioned yeah and i agree with that well said uh you know i think getting them out on the golf course and and exposing them to real life experiences um hands down is by far the best opportunity 
to becoming a better player. I mean, you know, as Clint, as you pointed out, you know, you can beat balls till the cows come home on the practice tee, uh, and you might hit some pretty decent shots, um, but then all that goes by the wayside when you get out in the golf course and suddenly, you know, you're standing on, on uh, you know, a side hill and, you know, you're looking at maybe potentially uh, a 20 or 30 degree shot. Uh, it, it's not straight anymore. You know, suddenly now you, you've got to factor in that 20 to 30 degree curve perhaps uh, or, you know, more or less depending on the circumstances or you're, you know, standing on a, a severe downslope uh, or upslope. So there's a lot of factors to be involved. Um you know, maybe you're sitting right on, uh, right against the lip of a bunker, uh, which you didn't have that on the practice tee. So there's a lot of different variables that, that come into play. Um, I, I want to move on, Clint, because I think you, you kind of answered a lot of the same similar things that uh, Alicia just did, uh, unless you have let any me, other points you want to make. Yeah, go ahead. Let me, let me add this one thing to this. You know, what I try to do in those particular cases, it, it's less like the rules of golf book. The rules of golf is for there to when you're not in the middle of the fairway. It tells you what to do. Okay? So what I try to get people to do is if you've got these circumstances on the golf course you're playing with, develop a cheat sheet. Okay? Put it in your little book. I got a downhill lie. What am I supposed to do? You can look at it real quick. I'm going to remind you. It gives you a little bit of information you can carry with you to manage the situation at the time. Just like if the ball's buried in the bunker. Well, that's not my normal bunker shot. Well, maybe, maybe let me look at my cheat sheet. What am I supposed to do here to make this easier? And I think that's very valuable to the amateur player because they they don't play that much golf. You know, they don't remember, you know, well, I don't have a flat lie. What am I supposed to do when I got a downhill side hill? Real simple statement. Yeah. Technique. That little cheat sheet I, I found to be uh, quite beneficial for, for most of my students. Yeah. And, and, you know, that brings to another uh, element, you know, when you, when you talk about pros, you know, we've seen a lot of um, discussions with many of the, the touring pros over the years. And obviously uh, I would say probably if not a hundred percent, 99.9% of them do this um, is, you know, they obviously have a yardage book when they come sure. to a tournament and they go around and, you know, obviously they know what to do in certain situations as an example, downhill side, hill lie perhaps, but they see certain, areas on every hole that they know to look out for so in in other words they know where they're driving the ball more often than not and they know that where the trees are uh they know where the bunker is and they're making notes for that very reason so that when they play those courses again obviously over time uh you know golfers that have played you know maybe for the last 10 15 years on the same uh course for a tournament they get there and they kind of know that uh you know as a matter of fact but they have those books and they make those notes for a reason so that when they get each week out to that different course, now they've got as much information as they can possibly consume so that when they get on that hole, they can say, okay, I'm going to look at this. Here's my target. This is what I've got to be careful of. And this is where I need to aim uh, my tee shot or my approach shot or what have you, because now they, they've got information on the green, how it reacts to certain shots during certain conditions, so on and so forth. And this is something that the amateur golfer, as you just pointed out, Clint, could really benefit from. Uh, They certainly don't have to get necessarily as detailed uh, as the professionals do, but if they're playing on their home course with any sort of regularity, you know, they need to be making some notes and taking that little notebook with them uh, when they play in a round so that when they get on a hole that may present them with certain challenges, they've got some notes there that they can refer to 
uh, to help guide them through. I think that's a great uh, a great point because I know a lot of people don't do that. Um, well, take a deep breath. Uh, yeah, okay. Yeah, go ahead. Well, the thing no, ahead, is, you, you go out and play your your your, your home golf course all the time. Most of, particularly on the par threes, you don't even have to get a yardage. You know what club you've hit here for the last five years. Is the wind in my face or is the wind behind me? It's, it's really the only thing you got to figure out. You know, so in those tour players, like you talked about, they're updating that book every day. Sure. You know, they they put it in. They put in what they hit there yesterday. Yep. Exactly. So was, and it changes. Yeah. Right, it changes. I mean, obviously, wind conditions are factors. Obviously, uh, the tee, you know, is moved up or back or what have you. So there's there's going to be slight uh, modifications. You're exactly right. But the the point is that they are making the, that conscious effort to write down that information that's going to benefit them the next time they're playing that golf course. Um, Absolutely. Clint, take another yeah, take a deep breath, and and I think this is going to be probably enough time for our final question. I know this is going to be right up your alley as well as Alicia's. Um, and we're talking about approach shots to the green. This is something, and we I've talked about this recently, but I want to get your thoughts as well as Alicia's on this. A lot of golfers struggle with this, and that is playing to the greens. Do I fire at the pin? Should I be thinking about the center of the of the green only when I hit my approach shot? Uh, or if it's a tough green, should I just maybe look for a bailout option? Um, when is it appropriate to do either or, or all of the above? Uh, what are your thoughts there for somebody that's hitting into the green? What do they need to be looking for? And what options should they consider under what circumstances? Wow. That's a whole show question there. We've got to edit it down, though, Clint. So let's, okay, let's real, real quickly. I mean, you know, we always talk about it real fast. You know, my mom didn't send me out here to lay up today. You know, so I play right. golf for fun. I hit it at every flag. Okay. I'm not laying up. I'm on. I'm going to take dead aim at the flag, and I'm going to hit it at it. Now that's just the way I play golf now, um, because whether I short side myself or, or whatever doesn't matter. Okay. So, but the person that's out there playing has to evaluate their situation at that particular time. Am I leading the tournament or am I way behind? What risks do I need to take here to be successful? And those circumstances change every day they play and every hole they play. So it really just depends, in my opinion, on the circumstances of the competition or their play, you know. And uh, if you're just out having a nice round of golf, you never really know that you can hit it through that little circle, that little tight hole, until you try. So you might as well go ahead and try it out here. It has nothing, no meaning at all today other than just pride and ego. Uh, so just, just when you're out playing, take all the risk you can to see if you, you're capable of taking those risks and being successful. But if you're playing in a competition, you have to evaluate where you're at and, and uh, play accordingly. Yeah, that was, well, that was short. That was great. Yeah, I'm done. That was a great answer. You, yeah, you boiled that one right down. And got well, you told me I had to. Yeah, I know. Uh, I'm just <laughs> kidding. Alicia, what about your, your thoughts on that? I, I know I'm sure you probably concur with a lot of what Clint says, but, you know, the truth of the matter is a lot of folks get out there and they play on the golf course. And, you know, if they're, if they're not really concerned about the scoring so much and they really just want to get out there and challenge themselves and have some fun, as Clint said, you know, they're going to get out there and they're going to fire at every pin. But somebody that's maybe looking to really, you know, play well for their club championship that's coming up or uh, maybe they're a, a young uh, golfer that has aspirations of play, maybe playing collegiate golf, they want to be a, a little bit smarter in their process um, so what do you like to talk about or what do you suggest for them when it comes to that sort of thing, when they're going for the green, do they go for it every time? 
when should they be what factors should be they looking at uh, in, in assessments if you will when it comes to laying up or should they be looking at maybe bailing out uh, in a lot of cases because you know those undulations can be pretty pretty severe sometimes what are your thoughts there when approaching the green yeah I mean I just try to I try to give them the I kind of tag things so they might remember things a little bit better when they get out there and I just say look for the like the triple w and so I want the win 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 so if you're approaching a green I say what's your triple w line and you know if you hit it right you hit it a little left a little right or straight you're going to be in a good shape either way of any of those three um, so I try to get them to kind of just think about the strategy behind that and uh, you know, or, you know, if they're laying up on a par five, if they if they know they can't reach the the green, just say, you know, what yardage would you like to be left with? That's kind of basic core strategy of I feel really a lot stronger about 70 yards than 40. Um, so, you know, we're always kind of going through the process of that and trying to figure out where their you know where their strengths are. You'll you'll obviously you'll be stuck with some of your some of those shots that are aren't your strengths, but but yet. Um, you know, try to go to them as much as you can. And the other thing that, you know, Dave Pelz had me do a lot of is, is, you know, he had me go practice and we all know the short game is so critical. And he, he used to tell me to go out and if it was a night kind of slow or whatever, and I can, I can hit two or three balls, just hit three balls, but do something intentionally and miss the green. So, you know, hit not enough club too much, go way right so that you're hitting like three shots around the greens in practice and, and then you play nine holes and you'll hit 27 shots into the greens and you'll get a little bit more savvy and smart about your, your selection, if you will. So that, that's helped my hmm. students a lot too, based on that. So you're, you're, you're out there, you might as well hit two or three and then you'll have one in the bunker. You might have one short, we get a little 20, 30 yard bump and run. And, and then you might have one that's, you know, over the bunker. And, and so you intentionally miss it. And then you just get a lot, you know, quite a bit more practice that way. So um, that's helped in the in the past. Yeah, that's a yeah, that's very interesting. You know, and that that certainly is something that can help a lot of students out there. Is is you know, when you're out there and just sort of playing for fun, you're not really in a competitive mode. Just get out there, and that's the opportunity. Obviously, you want to be uh, you know cognizant of slow play. We don't want to be you know holding people up. But, right. Uh, there's there's right. lots of opportunities. You know, you can play maybe some twilight hours or twilight golf, and when the courses are a little bit slower, and get out there and and maybe just play nine holes instead of playing a full 18, and uh, and get mm-hmm. out there and 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 do things like that. You know, that that makes a lot of sense, and I think that's good for for students out there. You know, I think it. You know, when we boil everything down, guys, I think it really comes down to this. It's really up to the individual student what they want. As we talked about earlier in the show. It's it's what they want, what their expectations are of themselves, and what you know, what pressure they want to put on themselves. If if they want to challenge themselves, if they're maybe a little bit skittish and they want to be pushed a little bit, it's really up to them. And 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 again, I, as I mentioned earlier, it goes into that initial assessment, our initial discussion with them. Uh, again, particularly. Uh, with new students, but even with students that we've had for a while, I think we have to have that continual assessment process throughout the year because sometimes things change. You know, circumstances change. Maybe they're they've got a little bit more free time now uh, to allocate to something like that. So maybe their their goals have changed. 
uh, or maybe the, the opposite has mm-hmm. happened where uh, they've gotten a little bit busier at work or things are, are you know, the, the kids suddenly have more activities that they're, you know, they've got to drive them here and there and, and uh, participate with their children a little bit more. So now suddenly they don't have as much opportunity to get out the golf course themselves. So, you know, we have to really continually be, uh, you know, having a dialogue, if you will, with our students and understanding what their needs are. And as they change, then we have to adapt. Um, Something we're going to talk about on a future show uh, in a little bit more detail, I'm going to have some great questions and I'm going to give you both at a moment here just to to let the folks know how they can reach out. Um, There's been a lot of discussion over the last several years about changes in the golf industry uh some good some bad this is a discussion that we're going to carry into the new year um on the coach's corner panel it may be one of the first discussions we have on it um and i'm going to give everybody an opportunity as we go out throughout the year to to add some points i'll have a few general questions on it uh and get their thoughts because there are a lot of changes happening in the golf industry again some good some bad and i really want to get everybody's thoughts on that because it is like every other business out there it's an ever-changing market and dynamics and i think that as an industry um we need to make certain changes in order to keep the game going and making it uh accessible to as many people uh, as as possible um, so this is a discussion I want to carry on into the new year. Um, but on that note, uh, thank you guys for, for doing a great job as always. Uh, I'm going to go ladies first. Alicia, if you want to let the folks know how they can reach out to you if they're interested, um, please let the folks know what's the best way to contact you. Sure. Uh, you can certainly reach me at, uh, you know, through an email on, from my website, which is gratitudegolf.com. And uh, you can also get my book and purchase it from Amazon. And it's um, available through there. And the missing link, the powerful role of self-talk in the mind game of golf. So uh, anybody that's interested in connecting with me or just asking me any questions from today, I'll be more than welcome to uh, invite them to reach out. Yeah, and, um, you know, Alicia, it's a great book. You did a fantastic job with it. And I strongly uh, urge anyone that's tuning into the show to definitely uh, go to Amazon.com uh, and check it out and get a copy. In fact, get several copies. It'll make a great gift, uh, especially with the holidays rolling up here real quick. So uh, plenty of time to, to, to order them and, and get it to, uh, get a copy for not only yourself, but maybe somebody else for, uh, for Christmas. So uh, get out there and do that. Clint, my yeah. friend, uh, how, how can the folks uh, reach out to you? Uh, real simple, it's clintgoff001 at yahoo.com. I'll be more than happy to respond back to them. And uh, It's been a great show. This has been fun tonight. So I uh, hope uh, everybody has a, a great holiday season, and I'm looking forward to next year. Yeah, sounds good. Um, I probably uh, won't have – I mean, I think this is the last show for you guys this season. So best of the holiday season to both of you and your families. Uh, keep up the great work and thank you very, very much uh, for giving of your time this year uh, and, and past years on the Coach's Corner panel. Uh, your input into the show really helps and I know the audience uh, looks forward to uh, this particular uh, segment on the show. So thank you very much to both of you uh, for, for stepping up and I look forward to having you both back next season. So um, have a great uh, holiday season and I will see you next uh, year on the Coach's Corner panel. Thanks, guys. Great. Good night, Ted. Thanks so much, Ted. Bye-bye. All right. Bye-bye. All right. That was uh, two great guests on the Coach's Corner panel. 
Uh, Alicia Larson and Clint Wright uh, been on uh, quite regularly this past season. Clint, of course, has been for uh, many years, uh, pretty much since its inception here on the uh, Golf Talk Live. Uh, always enjoy his input. And Alicia has come on uh, not only this season, but uh, last season as well. And, of course, she's been a featured guest here as well. And, and as I mentioned, uh, you definitely want to get out there and get a copy of her uh, book, uh, The Missing Link, The uh, Powerful Role of Self-Talk in the Mind Game of Golf. Uh, go to Amazon.com and you can get a, a copy of that. As I mentioned earlier in the show, uh, of course, we've got uh, a new sponsor uh, on the show for the Coach's Corner panel. And uh, I'm going to uh, introduce my, my next uh, guest coming up here in just a little bit. But in the meantime, uh, take a listen to uh, Golfswing.com. Are you finally ready to improve your golf game? Golfswing.com is changing the way golfers learn online. With the largest collection of golf training programs and drills on the planet, GolfSwing.com can help you improve every part of your game. Whether you want to gain more distance, hit it closer, or just sink more putts, GolfSwing.com's staff of world-class coaches can help you gain the results you need. Watch unlimited videos on any device from anywhere in the world and start playing better, scoring lower, having more fun, and saving money. Get your fix on demand at GolfSwing.com. All right, that was uh, a message from golfswing.com. You definitely want to go and visit their website after the show. Um, they've got a, a great platform, an online video uh, academy platform that you want to definitely sign up and join. It's very, very uh, economical. And, of course, um, you can get your hot little hands on one of my good friend, uh, PJ Teach Professional John Decker's uh, new uh, signature series, Pitch Perfect. That's a great short game series that's now available through golfswing.com. Uh, I believe they're still offering uh, a great discount on that uh, product as well. So you want to visit golfswing.com and uh, learn more about that as well. So go to golfswing.com after the show, <coughs> excuse me, and check it out and uh, make sure that you uh, join up. Uh, it's a great uh, online video academy, some great teach professionals. And as I mentioned earlier in the show, I'm going to be featuring uh, Jeff Mitchell again, his final video uh, on my social media platforms. After the show, I'm going to be posting that up on Facebook and, and uh, LinkedIn and so forth. So you want to make sure you check that out as well. Um, as I mentioned at the beginning of the broadcast, I'm going to be joined again tonight um, by a, a gentleman who was on earlier this month, and uh, he reached out to me uh, some time ago, and uh, we set this up. And I wanted to have him back on. We talked about, if you may recall, um, I'm, of course, talking about Mitchell Crum. He's the director and founder of Elite Golf Group, LLC. He's also the Professional Golf Teachers and Coaches of America's president and founder. Uh, he's the National uh, USGTF Teacher of the Year, 1992, and the 1995 uh, Teacher of the Year uh, for the Professional Golf Teachers and uh, Coaches of America. Uh, has a number of great golf schools all across the United States that he uh, can put you in touch with if you're wanting to travel and, and tune up your game. There's some great uh, uh, places to, to work on your game, and uh, he's the man that you want to reach out to. So that's, of course, I'm talking about Mitchell Crum. Uh, joining us also tonight, uh, as, as mentioned earlier as well, and i actually probably going to have two more. Um, first off, of course, uh, going to be joining us in the conversation tonight about something very special, and I'm going to tell you about that in a minute, is, of course, PGA Tour professional uh, Bo Van Pelt. Uh, he was the winner of the 2009 U.S. Bank Championship in Milwaukee. Uh, also a multiple uh, winner 
uh, one on the European tour in 2012 at the ISPS uh, Hand Up Perth International uh, Invitational, excuse me, uh, or International, excuse me, and the on the Asia tour as well. He won the 2011 CIMB Asia Pacific Classic, uh, which was in Malaysia, and uh, his first win actually was on the nationwide tour when he was uh, starting his career. Uh, he won the 2003 Omaha Classic. Uh, he's going to be joining us in the conversation as well, and we'll talk a little bit about uh, reasons why he's joining in. And then I've just been told as well by Mitch sending me a, um, a little note here uh, while we were on the other segment that another gentleman, Hoppy Smith, uh, is also going to be joining us uh, tonight. And he, some of the uh, accolades that he carries, is he's the 2018 Gulf States PGA Youth uh, Player Development Award. He's received the uh, 17 and 18 uh, was recognized as Golf Digest Best in the State. Uh, also, in 2016, uh, Golf State's PGA Teacher of the Year. And in 2017-18, uh, Golf Digest Best in State. Uh, he's also the best PGA teacher in Mississippi. Uh, and they're coming on tonight with Mitch, of course, in support of the MS Golf Project. We're going to talk a little bit about that. And I see that Mitch is ready. So let me bring back my good friend, and very special guest tonight, uh, Mitch Crum. Good evening and welcome, Mitch. Hi, Ted. Happy holidays. How you doing? I'm doing very well. Yes, we're we're getting close to uh, to the holidays, and um, it's uh, literally around the corner. We've just had a belated Happy Thanksgiving. I hope you had uh, uh, a good uh, holiday last week, and uh, we're now gearing up for Christmas. Yeah, I just ate too much. Other than that, it was I, wonderful. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I hear you. Um, and, you know, that's something that, unfortunately, we're all a little bit guilty of. Um, but you know what? That's uh, It only happens a couple times a year, and uh, we try to uh, do well the rest of the year. All right, Mitch, uh, we talked about last time when you were on the show, as I've already mentioned the audience, and I've already uh, mentioned uh, the other two that are going to be joining us throughout the conversation. Of course, uh, PJ Tour Professional Bo Van Pelt. And uh, uh, Hoppy Smith is going to be joining us, uh, as I understand, as well. So we'll keep an eye out for them. But um, we talked about, of course, the uh, golf schools uh, last time you were on the show earlier this month. But tonight we're going to talk about something a little bit uh, more near and dear to your heart. Uh, Of course, I'm talking about the MS uh, Golf Project. And, of course, MS is in reference to multiple sclerosis. Um, So to get the conversation going, maybe you can share a little bit of the backstory of how that sort of came about and why you're very passionate about this particular cause. Well, about, oh, it's been about almost six years now. I just, you know, from a person that's playing golf all the time and the balance is so important and always being on my feet, I just knew something was not right. So after about a year and a half of CAT scans and, testing and blood tests and spinal taps and everything, they finally diagnosed me with multiple sclerosis. So that was about, I finally got diagnosed in about five years, but I've really probably had it for about six and a half years. So the way multiple sclerosis works is there's really no cure for it. They just try to combat it or keep it level. So for me, If I didn't have golf, you know, golf has been so wonderful for me. I've been 34 years 
in the business and right. I owe everything I have to golf. And so it just, I don't know, you know, faith is faith. And for me, it just seems like there, there has to be a, a, a higher power, a reason why I got multiple sclerosis. So for me, I think with all my knowledge in golf and everything that I can use golf and I can help people that have multiple sclerosis, um, maybe have a little better life or help them with things that they can't help themselves with. So I'm going to use golf now. I mean, I guess 34 years in the golf business. Now this is, I'm starting a whole nother business on a charity foundation to help people that have multiple sclerosis and to give back a little bit and to help people that really can't help themselves. Because I mean, if, if I had any other job, I would be really, really in trouble. And I'm, and I'm sure right. there's a lot of people out there, you know, if I was a dentist, a carpenter, a roofer, a laborer, I'd be in, in a, and if I was the breadwinner of my family, my family would be in trouble. And I, I'm sure there's a lot of people out there that are like that. So, you know, right. I guess the rest of my time in life is to get back and to help people, um, you know, through the multiple sclerosis, not only awareness, um, but, you know, to help try to find a cure and to help to help other people's lives that have it. Because, you know, I have yet to talk to anybody, you know, I, that I talk to. Everybody knows somebody that has multiple sclerosis, but nobody really knows what it is. I mean, it's not like every, cancer where everybody knows what cancer is. Um, right. It's a disease where people just don't know what it is. So if we can get the awareness out there and get people to understand about it, I mean, there's over 3 million people worldwide right now that have multiple sclerosis and um, there's no cure for it. So it's something they've been trying to cure. I mean, obviously the medicine has come a long way to keep it, you know, stable. You know, 25 years ago, if you got multiple sclerosis within a year, you you were, you basically couldn't lift your arms up. Well, now it's, right. uh, you know, they try to keep you stable enough to where, you know, you can walk a little bit, move a little bit, you can talk, you can see, you don't go blind, all that stuff. So they have come a long way in the medicine and they have come a long way in the research. And, and you know, sooner or later, there's going to be a cure for it. And that's just my hope. And hopefully along the way, I can help somebody, if I can help one or two people. And I think that's, that's what life's about, giving back. Yeah, and, and you raise a very, uh, really great point, you know, uh, about golf in general. I mean, obviously, I've been in the golf industry for a long time as well, uh, over 25 years. And, you know, they've done so many great things over the years for a lot of different charities. And, and uh, have really a lot of players have stepped up and, and, and given back, not only through the, the charities and foundations that they've created, um, you know, individually, but also... Uh, many of the, the charities and that that the PGA Tour and the LPGA Tours uh, players uh, come in contact with every week uh, in their events. So, you know, they raise a lot of awareness. And unlike um, really any other sport, yeah, golf does that, I think. Unlike, and certainly, and I don't want to take away from any other sports. I mean, all sports, I think, uh, a lot of these athletes out there do a lot of uh, personal things. But I think golf, as a general rule, I think does it better than anybody else out there. And it's really, in my opinion, the gold standard. 
Now, I want to, uh, before he comes on at some point, I'm not sure when he's going to be calling in, but um, I want to just mention a little bit about uh, Bovan uh, Pelt, of course, because you work with him, and, and uh, maybe you can share a little bit about the connection with him uh, and you and, and um, before he comes on, and then we'll, uh, we'll continue on with our discussion. Yeah, Bo's one of my, uh, me and Bo grew up in the same hometown. Um, we've known each other 30 years now. Um, we have a lot in common. Um, I have worked with Bo out on the PGA Tour um, for probably 10 years, but I also worked with him when he was at Oklahoma State. So, like, when he would come home for the summer, we would go over to a local golf course and work out and things like that. So we had, I mean, we play basketball together when we're kids. So we go back a long way, but the biggest thing, you know, that kind of brings us together now is Bo's father has multiple sclerosis also. So Bo's dad, whose name is Bob Van Pelt, who played football at Indiana university has had, I think, Bob's had it now maybe 25 years, but uh, right. Bob's a great guy, and, and, and uh, it just it's just, you know, things just work. It's just really weird how things work together. So I remember I was at Augusta um, about four years ago. Bo, I hadn't told anybody. Nobody knew it. I was kind of, kind of ashamed of it, and I was going to Augusta to work with Bo on a Sunday before the Masters. And he came into the hotel, and and I and I had to tell him that I had multiple sclerosis. So it was really a heartwarming kind of fifteen minutes because he knew his he knew how I felt. He'd already seen how it affected his father, so he, he acted like it was nothing. So it was really he treated me like I was anybody else. So it was really a good situation. And he's always treated me like there was nothing wrong with me. You know, even when I'm out there working with him, standing next to Phil Mickelson, Sergio Garcia, whatever, they all treat me great. And, and you know, it's, there's so many guys out there on the PGA Tour that whether it's their mom or their sister or their grandmother or their, their wife's brother or somebody, everybody knows somebody that has multiple sclerosis. And it's just amazing. Right when you start talking about it, how many people are affected by this disease. So, you know, my big thing is just to try to get the awareness out and try to use golf to raise money for the foundation and to help people along the way. You know, if I can pay one person's mortgage off that has multiple sclerosis and help one family, we've done our job. If we can do that one one mortgage a year we've done our job so golf's such a great game and such a great sport and people are really given so if we can do tournaments you know i'm affiliated with about 85 resorts and golf courses around the country with my golf schools and if, if we can go from new york to california and hold programs and, and charity functions i think uh we'll do our job right so exactly been a great supporter on the whole thing now, tell a little bit, uh, again, uh, I'm not 100% sure whether he's going to be calling in as well, but um, uh, Hoppy Smith, of course, uh, you know as well. Uh, he's yeah. uh, 2017-18 Golf Digest Best in State uh, and uh, Best PJ Teacher in, in uh, Mississippi. 
what's the connection there? Talk a little bit about him before he comes on, and, and obviously he's taken a, a definite interest uh, in the MS Golf Project as well. Yeah, Ted, you know, I, you and me have talked, and, and we both really believe in faith, and if this isn't faith, this story, I don't know what faith is. So when we were talking last time, I told you, 32 years ago, my second golf school was in Biloxi, Mississippi. And about three years ago, I just got this strong feeling that Biloxi, Mississippi was where I needed to be. So I don't know why I came here. I came here. So about two years ago, I moved from Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, to Biloxi, Mississippi. Well, about... Four months ago, we moved to a little place that's about 30 miles just west of Biloxi, which is called Diamond Head, Mississippi. Right. And it just happens that Hoppy Smith is a director of instruction at Diamond Head Country Club, which is just a phenomenal, phenomenal facility. 36 holes. It's a golfing community. It's actually the um, youngest city in America, if you can believe that, seven years old. They just, they incorporated as a city, but it's just a golfing community is basically what it is. So we moved here, and when I first came here 34 years ago, guess who was the assistant pro at the place we had to golf school? Hoppy Smith. <laughs> right. So, so, so I, I see, where I go to, me. I take my wife to dinner, and I'm sitting I wanted to sit at the left side of the bar, and I said, because, you know, I don't like to drive my car through the bar or, or make a scene, and I kind of, you know, it's kind of embarrassing sometimes to drive your little scooter in, in a public place, so I just wanted to go in and sit right there at the first seat available. Well, my wife said, oh, no, there's seats over here, so we had to go all the way through the bar and restaurant and <laughs> sit over in the seats, so I sit, next, I sit next to this guy, and we start talking, and uh, lo and behold, he saw my PGTTA shirt. He said, oh, you're in the golf business? You, you play golf, he said. And I said, well, I used to. And we started talking. He said, Hoppy Smith. And I said, Hoppy, Mitch Crown. And it just went from there. And we just couldn't believe it. 33 years later, I just happened to sit next to him in a restaurant. And we just started talking. We hit it off. And, um, you know, I told him what I was doing. And I told him what I came here for. And I told him the story about that my wife said, Mitch, you know what the initials are in Mississippi? It's MS. So, you right. know, th there is a reason I'm here. And, and so now where I'm sitting right now, excuse me, where I'm sit sitting right now, the country club is a block and a half from my house. So I can ride my scooter down there. We went last Sunday. We did a junior free junior clinic for underprivileged kids. So I got to teach a little bit. So it really worked good. So, so, I mean, if that's not faith, I don't know what is. So, and then when I told him I was coming on your show tonight, he said, oh, I would love to call in and, and just support you. So I told him, he, I'm sure you wouldn't mind him calling in. And, no. Um, yeah. So I think, he, I think he's going to call in about, he said about 715 he's going to call in. Well, that would be perfect. We'd love to have him join us on the that, show. Um, yeah, he's, always, a, he's a great guy. I mean, he, he's, he's got every award that you could possibly get in Mississippi. I mean, he's been doing this. I, and when he comes in, tell him happy birthday. His birthday is tomorrow. <laughs> 
Well, I think this might be him now, so let's uh, let's welcome. I think this is Hoppy Smith. Uh, well, welcome to Golf Talk Live. Hey, Mitch, Good evening, and welcome to Golf. Hey, Hoppy. Good evening. Good to see you guys, man. Good evening. Appreciate, appreciate you having me on. Not a problem. Uh, Hoppy, this is Ted Odorico, the host of Golf Talk Live. I'm very uh, happy to have you join us tonight. And, and Mitch was just sharing the, uh, the story, uh, how you guys sort of reconnected after 30-plus years. Um, but uh, he first wanted me to mention, because I guess tomorrow is your birthday, so I'm going to be the first here on, on air to whip, wish you a happy birthday. Oh, really, guys? Thanks a lot. I appreciate it. Uh, yeah, tomorrow's <laughs> mine, and uh, Saturday's is my wife's. So we're kind of back-to-back there on this thing. Fantastic. So Mitch was mentioning, you know, we're obviously here to talk about the MS Golf Project, which obviously is, uh, is important to, to Mitch and, and, uh, and so many others out there. And, and obviously you've been in the golf industry for a long time as well as, as he has. And you've obviously taken an interest uh, in this particular story for a number of reasons. Talk about, first off, a, a little bit about yourself. Uh, I did give an intro before you came on. Uh, but just maybe give the folks just a little bit of a backstory on yourself um, and then a little bit of what you want would like to see happen uh, with Mitch's project. Okay, yeah, well, I appreciate it. Uh, actually, uh, I actually started in the golf business a little bit late in life. Uh, I was about 36 years old when I started. Uh, I played golf up until that point, but I uh, started at the Broadwater Sun Course in 1993. That was in Biloxi. Um, that time it was a beautiful golf course uh katrina got rid took care of that for us though hurricane katrina uh, uh it's where i met mitch uh and uh mitch had his his golf schools there and uh mitch uh kind of dominated the market at that time and still does a great job with golf schools and stuff uh met him and then i moved on in 1996 got my pga card uh with the PGA got accepted in the PGA in December, 1996 and took the, or August of 1996 and took the job here at diamond head as a head golf professional in, uh, 1996 that year in December. I've been here ever since, uh, 2012. Uh, my wife and I opened the, uh, diamond head, uh, golf Academy and, uh, kind of moved over from the teaching part of it and moved into this. So, uh, this is where we are. I love what Mitch is doing with MS, bringing people uh, into the game that uh, that that still love the game and uh, they they feel like they may not be able to play anymore, but they can, and we're opening the doors to that. So uh, Mitch is doing a great job with it, man. I'm I'm honored to be a uh, to be a friend of Mitch's and be a part of that. And happy, well, I'm honored to be your friend too, buddy. Appreciate it, Mitch. You know, Hoppy. Let me just ask you. You know, obviously. Uh, as, as Mitch was explaining, you know, MS is, is something that really uh, affects literally millions of people around the world and, and you know, hundreds of thousands, if not a, a million people here in the United States alone. So it, it's not something that's new. It's been around for, for a long, long time. And, you know, sometimes just getting the word out and getting that awareness out uh, is half the battle. Um, now, Mitch, obviously... It has been personally um, afflicted with MS, so he has a little bit uh, a more personal understanding of this. But as a golf professional, you know, and as Mitch and I were talking about earlier, you know that the golf industry as a whole is, in my opinion, the gold standard of giving back to so many different charities and, and so many different great causes out there. What would you like to see happen here 
with Mitch's golf project um, that would maybe complement what's really already gone on with so many different golf professionals around the world? Yeah, I think I think the thing we have to do is get the word out, go to the golf courses and get the word out to what what Mitch's products project is about. Communication is going to be the big thing in this. If we can, the more we can get these players back on the golf courses and get them back out enjoying the game again, uh, you know, and, and doing what they love to do and doing what they deserve to be able to do. Um, and 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 like you said, you know, educating the golf courses that's the biggest thing. Educating the golf courses, letting them know what these players can do, and uh, opening that up to the players themselves. So um, I think Mitch is doing a great job on that. Our, our biggest thing is communication, getting it out there. I, I, I think that's huge. That's 90% of it. We can just educate these golf courses and let them know what's going on. And, and what about uh, – let's talk about the golf course for a second. You know, we've seen a lot of um, development over the last few years. Obviously, we have many of our, our wounded warriors that uh, have, have gone on and, and served in battle and, and have become injured, and we're seeing golf courses really stepping up uh, in, in opening the doors and getting a lot of these wounded warriors back out there playing golf again. Right. Uh, is that kind of a similar thing that you'd like to see happen uh, with the golf course community and the golf industry as a whole uh, with those that are, that are dealing with MS? It's sort of a similar approach, if you will, of, of making the courses more accessible uh, and, and just really embracing uh, the MS community, much like it has done with the uh, wounded warrior community. It's, it's exactly right. I mean, that's exactly what we exactly. have to do. And, 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 you know, people are taking the lead on that, like Mitch, and, and to, to be able to educate these courses. I had the honor of going to Colonial Country Club in Dallas and our Fort Worth and Dallas area and uh, uh, participating in uh, President Bush's uh, Warrior. It's a, I think it was Warrior of Honors or something that, that we played in out there. This was like four years ago. Uh, one of my members was a wounded warrior. And I was able to go out with him and, and, and to see what they did. And if we can do that same type of thing for the for this MS society here, that we can bring the players back into the group, it'd be incredible. I mean, it's just we're just opening up a whole new door, you know, a whole new world for the yeah. players. Do you guys see hey, – and Ted, I'm going to open this uh, – yeah, sorry, go ahead, Mitch. I just wanted to say, you know, and another thing, just on what Hoppy's saying, if we can get these golf courses to get involved – from New York to California, just to hold one tournament a year for the MS Golf Project, you know, just just get their whole community, get awareness in their whole community, do a a nice little tournament, and get the get that money to people that are struggling or families that are struggling with MS. I mean, not only is it going to help the person that has MS keep around the game, but it's just going to get the awareness. I mean, the awareness of MS is just like I say, everybody knows somebody, but nobody knows what it is. Right. It's, just, right. it's amazing that nobody knows what multiple sclerosis is or what causes it or, or anything about it. Yeah, you're exactly right. I think, as I mentioned earlier, guys, is I think really half the battle is educating consumers out there first and foremost what the disease is how it affects the body and 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 obviously you know mitch as you know at present uh we don't have a cure but we want to be able to work towards that and obviously make it as comfortable as possible on that journey for so many people out there that have been afflicted by it um and 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 this is i'm just sort of throwing an idea out here and i don't know if this is something you guys have already considered you know obviously 
you know, putting together tournaments and things like that can be quite a, an, an ordeal. Um, and something that I've heard in, in similar situations that has been very, very effective is almost a shotgun format where there will be multiple venues uh, across, it could be a statewide initially, it could be even across the country, that will have on the same day, in other words, a dedicated day for this particular MS Golf project. Absolutely. Uh, and every local course that wants to participate could have that. And obviously time zones are going to be different, but essentially that particular day would be dedicated for any course that wanted to participate and all funds would go uh, towards that. That might be something I've heard of a lot of different projects that have done very similar. Uh, is that something that you guys have considered as well? Yeah, that, that, that is such a great idea. You know, Ted, my number one goal to when everything gets said and done after all this gets said, that my number one goal is to have one day, just like you're saying, where, yeah. where the shotgun would be a great idea, but I'm, my goal is to have one day when every golf course in America right. donates $5, $3, $10, whatever it is, to, to the National Multiple Sclerosis Foundation, you know, where everybody's on board and everybody knows about it and everybody's talking about it for that one day. So, yeah, that, that is a fantastic idea to do a, a shotgun national tournament, though, too. That's a great idea. Well, and and I'm using the term shotgun not necessarily as in the literal sense because again time zones are different. Um, sure. But Correct. What I'm what I'm getting at is where a, a day would be dedicated that golf courses Absolutely. would open up and say on this particular day we're gonna not doesn't even have to necessarily have tournaments at every course but as you said a a percentage or or a fee of some kind from every green fee on Correct. that day is going to be dedicated to uh, you, the Multiple Sclerosis Foundation, uh, which I think is a fantastic yeah, that's idea. that's my ultimate goal. Yeah, that's my ultimate goal. Now, yeah. Mitch, what I know, have, I know what, we can. I know we can rock that in diamond head. We have no problem with that. We'll do yeah, it. Yeah, and that's what I'm saying. And, and it, right, and it may initially start with the state of Mississippi as an example uh, on, on a local, more local basis, but then obviously as the word gets around – now, Mitch uh, and, and Hoppy, obviously you guys have had, I'm sure, a number of discussions about different ideas and things like that. What about sure. the awareness? Um, are you looking at partnering with the MS uh, uh, Foundation as far as from the education standpoint? I mean, obviously, Mitch, you're obviously familiar with what happens, but on a more uh, detailed, uh, you know, have you looked at maybe approaching them or have you approached them and saying, look, we would like to host at golf courses a uh, you know almost a seminar if you will and have some of your people key people come in and talk at uh, you know at local golf courses about MS what's involved what some of the the symptoms are that people can be uh, uh, and and how golf courses can more participate in making it accommodating for people that may have MS. Absolutely, yeah. We're we're going to try to partner with all the big. MS golf society, I mean, not golf society, but the MS foundations and the MS organizations. There's, there's about three real big ones um, in the country, and they do a wonderful, wonderful job. But nobody's, I mean, there's been MS golf tournaments and MS walks and things like that, but nobody's really just structured it around golf like I'm going to do. So 
I will need the help of those other organizations, and I do plan on partnering with them all and getting them involved in what we're doing and seeing what they can help us with. And Ted, yeah, on my I side think- of it, uh, Ted, on my side of it, I want to at a local level here. Uh, the the PGA uh, set up in sections, and uh, we're the Gulf State section, so. Uh, uh, we're waiting to approach the Gulf State section so that they will have Louisiana, Mississippi uh, PGA uh-huh. professionals to start that, and possibly we can hopefully take that to a national level. So that's the kind of direction I want to go in. That'd be fantastic. Now, have you guys yeah, thought, uh, as far as that component there, is there a target date or time frame that you're looking at initiating that? In other words, if you're planning on having, let's say, uh, a tournament at your facility, let's say, uh, Hoppy, is there a time frame? Or are you looking at doing something in, as early as two ni- uh, 2019, or, or is this something yeah. that's going to take a little bit more preparation? 2019. It, it's, yeah. it's all starting in 2019, yeah. Hopefully we'll have our projection for 2019 is, uh, is 30 tournaments nationwide. Okay. So if we can start something, Very we can good. possibly start something midsummer, something like that, uh, or early spring. Uh, we're great with that. It's just, it's our biggest thing is trying to get the information you were talking about from the foundation, get them out to the golf courses right. uh, with the help of the PGA sections, and then hopefully, possibly PGA National. So we'll have to go from there. Well, um, the reason why I was asking uh, if you had something sort of slated, or if this was uh, sort of a, a, a work in progress, if you will, to that to that uh, end. Um, was I would like to propose to both of you, um, you know, with, with obviously enough lead time, I would love to maybe come on that time frame and maybe do a live broadcast from uh, your facility, Hoppy, uh, next summer uh, during that event. That'd be good. That'd be fantastic. That'd be, that'd yeah, be great. And, I hope you like gumbo. You like gumbo? Oh, yeah, are you kidding me? <laughs> <laughs> you like gumbo and the same? Ha- so we're good. Oh, <laughs> well, I'll, I, I I may have to fudge a little bit on the Saints, but uh, the gumbo, uh, you're coming you, to you the Who That Nation, baby. You're gonna have to take care of it. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, well, I'm in your well, I'm in your state. I'll I'll go for it. Um, All right. But uh, but no, I, I think you know I, I would really love to you know I I believe everybody has it's like a, a jigsaw puzzle. I believe everybody has a, a role and a and a and a place, if you will. Uh, obviously, as I you know, Mitch and I were talking about earlier, I've been in the golf industry for a number of years as well. And, and I use these broadcasts now to really, um, you know, circulate the, the, the word around, if you will, about different uh, things going on. And, and uh, you know, I had Mitch on earlier this month, of course, to talk about his golf schools. And I wanted to have him come back and talk about this particular issue uh, on a second right. show at the end of the month, just to, to give him an opportunity. Because I, I, I wanted to give it its own um, format, if you will, and not lump it in with the golf schools and everything else. So um, sure. I, I would really like, and, and Mitch, you and I can talk about this, and, and, and Hoppy as well, we can talk about this at, at a later point, but I would really uh, sincerely love to maybe be a part of uh, the MS Golf Project from a media standpoint uh, for next year. So Perfect. we can maybe, maybe have some shows leading up to it. And then do a, a you know a final hey, broadcast from them as well. And Ted, we need golf professionals, golf courses, and golf resorts to get involved. And any of them can go to the multiplesclerosisgolfproject.com. There's information on that. That's just going to get bigger and better. 
But if they go to the Get Involved pages, there's a lot of ideas and things that they can do to help us. There's a number there they can call us. Um, there's places there that they can donate. Anybody can donate that they want, would like to donate. But there's a lot of ideas for local communities to do fundraisers and things like that. So, you know, we're going to do not just trying to get people with MS back into the game or, or get out of their house. You know, if, if somebody's in a wheelchair and hasn't left their house for three weeks, well, that person needs to go get picked up, go down to the golf course, whether it's just sitting there and enjoying the sun. I mean, it, it, MS, people don't realize how disabilitating it can be. Like not only depressing, but everything else. I mean, especially if you're a person that used to do a lot and then all of a sudden you can't do anything, it can get really depressing if you let it get depressing. But if you get people around you and you get people that like you to see you at the golf course and say, hey, how you doing? It, it's just, it is what it is. And if you keep a positive attitude, you, you can get through it. Yeah. Until, yeah until until I'm, I'm, in the, in the meantime, yeah, Terry, we, we will definitely follow up with you on this and let you know what's going on on our side of it. I love the media idea. And uh, if we can get, if, if, you know, taking a shortcut on this thing, if we can get the golf courses involved here at, at the PGA section level and get the PGA professionals involved, I think we can really do that's something. That's what like we that. need. That's, what we, that's yeah. what we need. We need the golf professionals, golf courses, and golf resorts involved in this thing. To where all of them give us give us at least one day a year, where you know we'll take care of all the signings, the advertising, the marketing. Ted, you can help us out on the media part of it. Sure. But, uh, I mean that's what the MS Golf Project's all about. Um, our fundraising, all our money that we make is going to go to give back, to promote the game, to promote MS, and, and help families that can't help themselves that have MS. So. That's what we're all about. We're all about awareness and giving, helping families that are struggling with somebody in their family that has in that. Yeah, and you raise a, an interesting point, um, you know, Mitch, here just a moment ago uh, about it. it's not all just about getting people back out on the golf course. I mean, that's a, that's a bonus, and it's great to, you know, for somebody that maybe is struggling with MS, if they're able to, to get back out and make, maybe play the game that they, they've enjoyed for, for such a long time. But it's about helping them in other areas of their life as well is really what the, agenda, yeah, what the agenda of this project is. Sometimes it might be simple as transportation or it might be, uh, you know, something uh, helping them in a financial way uh, to meet some of their bring, needs. Bring because in care, Bring in a caregiver and just to give them a little bit of help to clean their house. You know, I mean, if a guy's living by himself and he can't even – Right. clean his house if we can send them in a helping angel for the day or whatever that that's fantastic for them yeah i i think that's uh i think that's great um well i'm i'm definitely all in and as i said i'll be more than happy to to lend you know my voice to to the project as well and you know i i'll be more than happy to not only just the the particular day of the event but uh, even leading up to it in the new year, you know, Mitch, you can come back on and, and Hoppy as well and anybody else, any of your uh, 
you know, other uh, professionals out in that area that are going to participate. If they want to come on and, and um, you know, promote it at their particular facilities as well, we can set some time aside on my program to do that as well. So I'm, I'm more than happy to do that Perfect. and help out any way I can. Thank hey, Ted, really appreciate your time, man. Thanks a lot. You're doing a lot for this, and, uh, you know, it, it's going to be this type of communication that brings awareness to, to the MS project. Well, thank you. Uh, well, Mitch, just like I said to you in the beginning, you know, the golf industry is, is a very unique industry. Um, you know, we, we have the, the honor and the pleasure of playing, you know, in my opinion, the, the greatest game on earth. I mean, there's so many other great sports that do a lot of wonderful things, but golf is really uh, – the only sport uh, or game that I know that is, is, you know, even though there are sometimes a, um, uh, it can be a team uh, event such as a Ryder cup or something like that, but it's an individual uh, sport or game, if you will. And it's one of integrity and one of honesty. And it also has proven to give back in so many ways uh, to so many people. So, you know, the way I look at it is, we all have to work together. You know, an engine has many parts, and when all those parts are, are working and firing together, um, you know, we can get a lot of things co- accomplished. We can drive down that track, if you will, or down that road and get a lot accomplished, and that's um, what I'm here to do as well. So you guys are, are really doing a great job, uh, and I will do what I can to help spread the word as well. Perfect. Well, I really appreciate that, Dred. You know, Not a and People just don't realize that the awareness of it is, is the, and you said it correctly. I mean, that is the main goal to get people to understand what it's all about. And to just, just, you know, we might not be able to get everybody out on the golf course, but if we can brighten their day or brighten 10 minutes of their day, we've helped somebody. And that's what it's all about. Giving somebody a smile that maybe for months hasn't smiled. So, you know, MS isn't a death sentence. It it isn't, um, you know, it's it's terrible, it's bad, but but if you're looking on the bright side and you give people stuff to look on the bright side, people can get through this. And sooner or later, I I just know in my heart there's going to be a cure for this. Um, I just I just read something in uh, Israel that, that that they they're on the verge, you know it's two or three years away, but they found something that that's working with mice that is turning uh, MS 180 degrees around. And mice is going from he can't walk and he's crawling to where he's running. So who knows what's going to happen with technology today? Right, exactly, and you know. But as I mentioned earlier, that you know half the half the battle sometimes is just getting that word out and getting that information out. Because once people are aware of things, um, you know more often than not they're eager to engage and to take part in something uh, if they if they know uh, a little bit more and and understand it a little bit better. They're more apt to be become engaged or involved in it. So as you said, getting the word out there and helping them to understand. So what do you want, Mitch, at this point, what do you want to say to the listeners as far as um, what's to come in the, in the near future as far as information? You know, is, the, is there a website available now that they can go uh, to learn a little bit more about yep. the MS Golf Project? 
um, and what's the link, where do they need to go to that, and uh, we'll direct them. They can go to multiplesclerosisgolfproject.com, and that gives a lot of information about what we are and what we do, and also it also gives ideas for golf professionals, golf courses, and golf resorts. And any of those that would like to get involved, there's numbers there that they can call us. Um, any golf course or, or golf resorts that would like to do a pro-am, um, we'll do all the advertising, all the marketing, all the signage. We'll send some of our people there to run the tournament. Um, we just, you know, most, most PGA professionals, at resorts know how to run a tournament, but we'll do the sign-up stuff. We'll get the local news involved. Um, we'll get all the media involved. So we just need need their housing or their facilities to run the thing. So um, we'll send out the mail list and everything else. So the biggest thing is is just to get the word out that through these golf tournaments and, and pro-ams or whatever we come up with, um, scrambles or whatever they want to run, you know, then we would like to do uh, silent auctions and auctions after the golf tournaments, charity banquets after it, and do just the whole A to Z from the golf tournament to the banquet after and just raise money for the MS Golf Project. So we need facility. You know, I've got about 85 facilities now most of them are on board to do it so we're looking for a good 2009 year um this has been probably a two and a half year project that i've been been putting together so tonight i really appreciate you kind of this is the launch of it um right. and 2009 is really when it's going to take off so Anybody that would like to get involved or learn anything about it, just go to the multiplesclerosisgolfproject.com website. Um, give us a call, and we've got a team of people that will help you walk you through how to set it up if you haven't set it up. And all the marketing, advertising, all the signage, all the, the volunteers and everything for the golf tournament will come from us. Well, that's fantastic. And I think that's, uh, you know, you guys have got a good handle on this, and I think it's going to be a very successful, um, you know, uh, event. And I think it's going to just perpetuate as each season comes by and people become more and more aware of it. I think it's just going to continue to help uh, a worthy cause. And, and I think, Mitch, you know, it takes, uh, you know, as you said in the beginning, it takes a lot um, really, you know, you, you've enjoyed so much from it, this industry and, I'm a firm believer that, you know, golf is really a vessel that we use, whether we're a teaching professional, whether we're a coach uh, or somebody, uh, the other position in the golf industry, it's really a vessel that we use to educate one another about something specific that we're passionate about. And you've really grappled um, with the industry that you've been a part of for 30 you know, plus years and are now using it as a tool um, to further another cause um, and that just, uh, again, goes to show you just how important golf is uh, to our communities. Yeah, without a doubt. And all you listeners out there, uh, look for the uh, MS National Golf Day. Uh, we're going to post that and get it out to you. So uh, we, we'll hopefully have a nationwide day here uh, very soon so we can do this and uh, get this kicked off. 
Well, I appreciate That's that. Um, go ahead, Mitch. You know, I was thinking today, for 34 years I've been teaching, I've been a teacher, you know, and, and it's really, I'm not changing. I'm just teaching something else now. I'm just not teaching golf. I mean, I'm still going to teach golf. It's, it's Golf has been so great to me, but this is just another vehicle that I'm just going to have the same passion that I had teaching golf. I'm just going to have the same passion teaching people about MS and, and helping people, you know, helping people improve their golf swing. Well, now I'm going to help people that have MS or are fighting MS. So, um, yeah. you know, my biggest thing now is I went from a golf teacher to now I'm a fundraiser. So, it's all really. I was thinking today. Wow, it's really the same same thing. It's just a different different field. <laughs> so right. I mean, I'm still a teacher. I think I'll always be a teacher. Um, I loved it when my student hit a 250 yard drive and and turned around and smiled. And, and I'll love it when uh, we pay off uh, somebody's mortgage uh, that that's had MS for four or five years and, and can't work. So. It's all is a great feeling for me to, to see satisfaction in somebody else, regardless if they're hitting a drive 250 yards or they know they're helping their family out. And Ted, don't let this guy yeah. fool you. Uh, he says he he says he <laughs> used to teach. I mean, he was on my driving range last Saturday <laughs> in a scooter working my juniors. So I mean, he's running around helping the kids. So Mitch has not changed. He just slowed down just a tad. So, well, that's all right. He, he, I mean, you know, he doesn't I, stop. Believe me. After 34 years, Mitch, you're entitled to slow down a little bit uh, and, and enjoy the, the fruits of your labor. But, um, you know, what a great cause, guys. And I want to thank you for, for both coming on and, and sharing this, and, and Mitch, particularly you, for uh, uh, for coming back on the show again. And, and as I said, we'll, you know, we'll be in touch here and, and, and sort of hammer out some, some of the details of, of uh, what's to come in the new year in 2019. Um, but I, I just want to say that, you know, no matter what you put your mind to, uh, you can accomplish great things in life. And when you do things that are very selfless, um, you know, people recognize that and will gravitate to that. And people will generally see that, you know, you're trying to do something that is going to enrich and empower other people's lives and I think that that's really what life is all about. You know, we all have careers. We all get out and we enjoy different things every day that we, we do. But the best gift that you can give somebody else is to give them a helping hand or just to show an act of kindness or what have you. And this is obviously what you guys yeah. are doing with the MS Golf Project. So, Mitch and, and Hoppy, thank you very much for, for coming on tonight Thanks, and, uh, and sharing that. Appreciate you. Appreciate your hosting us tonight. I really appreciate that. Thanks a lot. Helping us get the word out. Well, you get that. You get yeah, that number warmed up because I'm coming. <laughs> <'cause I'm laughs> <laughs> yeah, I wanted to say everything else. If you go to our website, you'll see. You'll see. Help us reach our goals. We, we've. Uh, you know, I told you this. We pretty much just kicked this off tonight. Um, our goal for 2019 is, is to raise $100,000 for MS 
And uh, we are currently at $75. So everybody needs to go to the Multiple Sclerosis Golf Project and, and donate $10, $5, $2, whatever they got. I appreciate it. Well, thank you guys for sharing that. And, uh, again, Mitch and, and Hoppy, thank you for coming on Golf Talk Live and, and, and sharing uh, what a great cause and a great story. And uh, the journey is going to continue, and we're going to talk more about it in yeah. 2019. So, guys, have a perfect, great evening. Perfect. Thank you, and we'll talk soon. Perfect, perfect. Thanks, Ted, Thanks, for uh, spreading the news. And, and, Mitch, I'll see you in the morning. Okay, buddy. See you, brother. All right. Good night, guys. Good. All right, that was uh, Mitch Crum, the director and founder of the Elite Golf Group, uh, and uh, Hoppy Smith, uh, a PGA Teach professional in Mississippi, and uh, they're working together to bring awareness to the MS Golf Project, and obviously particularly multiple sclerosis. And uh, if you visit uh, the multiplesclerosisgolfproject.com website, uh, you can, as I said, you can donate there and you can learn more about it as well uh, and reach out and get in contact uh, to see how maybe you can help or maybe if you're somebody that has a family member or somebody yourself that uh, uh, has MS and you want to learn more about how you can be involved and, and uh, maybe you're needing some help uh, and you want to uh, somehow share your story with them, I'm sure that they'll be more than happy to, uh, to listen to you and, and uh, maybe uh, help you in some way uh improve uh your life a little bit better and and uh reinforce that just because uh you've been afflicted with something like MS uh the journey is not over you still have much to to offer and to give everyone out there so um just keep that in mind all right i want to uh, once again also thank uh, the coaches corner panel Alicia Larson and Clint Wright uh, for joining me tonight uh on the coaches corner panel here on Golf Talk Live and uh, as always, guys, you did a fantastic job. Uh, but most importantly, I really want to take this opportunity to thank uh, all of the listeners worldwide for faithfully tuning into Golf Talk Live each and every week. And uh, as I say all the time, I, I truly uh, have a great amount of pleasure and enjoyment of hosting uh, a number of highly talented uh, coaches and teach professionals, authors, uh, and, uh, and entrepreneurs, and uh, stopping by the program. And it's really through... Uh, their participation and guest appearances have helped to make Golf Talk Live a first-class show, and, of course, all of you out there for tuning in and supporting the show. Some other supporters and, and sponsors of the show, uh, Mr. Jonathan Laird from South Coast Golf Guide. If you go to southcoastgolfguide.com and check that out, it's a great uh, publication here in the southeastern part of uh, the United States with some great golf courses and, and uh, information in there uh, that you can reach out to some of the local courses if you're interested uh, you can get that in his guide, and you can check it out online as well by going to southcoastgolfguide.com. Uh, if you're in the area and you want to get your hot little hands on a, one of the guides itself, it's a small pocket uh, book, if you will, a little bit bigger than a pocket book. Um, you can visit many of your local golf courses in the area. They all carry it, uh, and many of the larger resorts as well uh, down in this area in the southeastern part of the United States carry it as well. So look for South Coast Golf Guide uh, or just visit southcoastgolfguide.com. Uh, Meredith Kirk uh, from uh, Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, thank you for all of your continued support as well. A great LPGA professional as well as a guest on the show from time to time. Uh, Nikki and Tiffany, thank you for all of your uh, hard work and helping to spread the word over the years and all of your continued support of the program. Mr. Bernie Pinder from Ontic Golf uh, uh, has been a guest on the show and a great uh, 
supporter as well and a good friend. Uh, visit onticgolf.com. Check out a great line of customized putters that he uh, personally has developed and uh, is selling. Uh, if you want to improve your putting game, you want to check it out. He's got some great uh, products there. Uh, Sean Kelly, owner of linkedgolfers.com, a great social media platform as well. You can visit that. And also Peter Doyle from Doyle Golf Solutions over in Ireland. Thank you, Peter, for all of your continued support. Um, got a few more shows, just very quickly, a few more shows this season. Uh, the 6th of December, which is next Thursday, uh, I believe the uh, 13th, and then the 20th. Uh, will be the last shows uh, of the season for the uh, for Golf Talk Live. Yes, it's the 6th, 13th, and 20th will be the last shows of Golf Talk Live. And on Tuesday mornings with my good friend Cindy Miller, uh, we are going to have uh, the 4th and the 11th uh, of December will be the last shows for the women of golf. Uh, and then we'll be taking a break for the season. I will let you know on the 11th, uh, for the women of golf and on the 20th for golf talk live uh, when the show will be restarting back up in the new year uh, i'll firm up those dates with you at that time but in the meantime god bless everybody hope everybody had a happy and safe uh, thanksgiving and as we get closer uh, to the christmas holidays uh, get out there and do your get your shopping done if you haven't uh, already done it and um, just remember it's about getting together with family and friends um, Keep going out there and working on your games. Uh, for those of you in, in uh, warmer climates and for those of you that are not, reach out to your local golf professional. There's lots of things that you can be doing in your house uh, to keep working on your game. Just because you can't make it out to a golf course or maybe you don't have a, an indoor facility nearby, uh, if you reach out to your local golf professional, uh, there's some things that you can probably be doing at home uh, without breaking anything and uh, you can help work on your game until it's time to get back out in the new season. But anyways, thank you for tuning into the show, and I will see you next week right here on Golf Talk Live. God bless everybody.